Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 is where we are this evening, as we are into the story of Moses. And, and all of the lessons we've gone through the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, all of them have some component of letting go. Uh, Moses' story more in particular, but we've talked about Abraham who left and, and he went uh, to the land of promise. We've talked about Abel and uh, his sacrifice and what that meant. We've talked about Enoch. At the very beginning we talked about Enoch. We've talked about all these different stories. As we've talked about faith and what faith is, Hebrews 11 verse 23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now this is not really Moses, right? This is his parents who have faith. Moses doesn't have faith as a baby. Because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God, rather to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We've, we've read those passages several times in Hebrews. Uh, the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now, we're going to break this into three, the three components of the story here. The first, of course, is Moses' parents, Amram and Jochebed, letting go of a child, which is very reminiscent of what we talked about last week, the story of Abraham, uh, and having to, or not having to, but being asked to sacrifice Isaac. And as we think about this, the context of this, of course, in the context of this, uh, the uh, Israelites have been in Egypt for a while. Pharaoh's getting angst, uh, anxious about the, you know, the Israelites kind of growing as a nation. So he institutes this edict, right? All the, I got to kill all the, the Hebrew males, all the male babies of the Hebrews. Uh, and so that's the context into which Moses is born. Uh, and this is why they are mentioned, uh, Moses' parents, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. That's the edict, right? To kill the Hebrew uh, boys. This is not working as well as it was. Exodus 2, verses 1 through 5. This is the story as it's told in the Old Testament. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, uh, she hid him three months. And when she could hide him no longer, so she's hiding him from, uh, I, I kind of think it would be easier to hide as they go on, but because I think Moses would just be crying the whole time as a baby, but I don't know, they f apparently figured it out. And she, he gets big enough, I guess, that he's no longer hideable, right, for after the three, first three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took from a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with uh, bitumen and pitch. She stood at... Uh, put the child in it, placed it among the reeds in the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Not to interfere necessarily, to intervene, just to know. Uh, the letting go is putting him in the basket and floating him down the river. Not quite as bad probably as Abraham, not being asked to sacrifice Isaac, not the same thing. Although not that different, because what is a three-month-old going to do in a basket and a river, right? Really, Miriam is there, I think... To report back if Moses dies. Like, that's it. If the, if the basket tips over and he goes in the water. Like, I think that's probably why she's there. Because they're basically just letting go of this. They're putting him in the basket. He goes, whatever happens, happens. His sister, uh, let's see. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman. And she took it. 
the next few verses, of course, we know what happens, right, in the story, that this is totally beyond any expectation that they could have possibly had, right? That's the point of the story in, in Hebrews 11. Their faith being rewarded, letting go of Moses and their care of Moses, because they realize they can't do it. There's nothing they can do anymore. Being rewarded with not just a random person, Pharaoh's daughter, seeing this child. Verses 6 through 10. When she opened it, she saw the child. Behold, the baby was crying, because that's what babies do, right? She took pity on him. She said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. It's interesting she's willing to defy her father here, because the father's edict to kill all the baby Hebrew boys. I wonder, this is, this is the thing I wonder about. She brings the baby home. She probably doesn't hide it from Pharaoh. Maybe she does. Do they have a fight about it? Like, Pharaoh's like, how dare you, daughter of mine? I didn't raise you this way. Like, I don't know what's, what's Pharaoh. I don't know how that argument would have gone, but I, I really want to know. The sister said, uh, the, then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said, go. Uh, so the girl went and called the child's mother. Surprise! Uh, I, again, so many, you would say coincidences, but we know it's not coincidences, right? Because this is obviously the plan of God. And, of course, he does. Uh, she nurses him, and then she goes back. He, uh, Moses goes back to Pharaoh's house and is raised in Pharaoh's house. Which brings us to the next idea. So Moses, this auspicious beginning, raised in the house of Pharaoh, and now he's growing up and he's presented with a choice here about what he's going to do. Now, of course, fortunately, he makes the right choice, but I, again, suspect it would not be a choice that many of us would make. It's easy to say, oh yeah, I'd do that, no problem. Really? Would you? Life of privilege and comfort and power and ease. How many of us willingly give up comfort? It's hard to do. Hebrews 11, 24 through 26. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, a couple of things about this text. The Hebrew writer gives Moses better motivations than the text of Exodus does, which we'll read in just a minute. The text of Exodus does not really make Moses out to be the hero in this particular story and the next one that we'll look at. There's a bit of... Confusion is not the right word. I think the story as it's presented in Exodus, of course, is being written by who? being written by Moses. And of course we know Moses is what attribute more than any other person that's ever lived? The meekest, meekest person that ever lived is Moses. So I think Moses is presenting his own story in a meek light, right? He is, he's, not give, he's not making himself out to be the hero, not making himself out to be so great, because that's who Moses is. That's what Moses does in the story of Exodus. Hebrew writer comes along and is inspired by the Holy Spirit. God, I think, giving Moses the credit that maybe Moses should have had, but Moses was, of course, too meek to claim in his account of Exodus. The Hebrew writer coming here then and, and saying, Moses was doing this for faith. Now we read the story in Exodus, verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. 
One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that. It's not like he's so bold in Exodus, right? Making sure that nobody's watching. Seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He went the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. He said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? I think we read this sometime. When did we read this? I don't even remember, but we've looked at this text before recently. Uh, he answered, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Did you mean to kill me? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So much for not having anybody around. The word has spread. Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled and Pharaoh, Fred fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. The way the story is presented in Exodus, not really as great as it seems when the Hebrew writer talks about it. So what's going on here? A couple of things, I think, to know. Moses, obviously, as he grew up, was beginning to think about his people versus the Egyptians. He was beginning to have these thoughts. I don't know how early it would have been. You think you're Moses. You just put yourself in Moses' shoes. You grow up in the house of Pharaoh. You know you're not, I don't know, how early did they tell him? Hey, you're not really an Egyptian. I don't exactly know how different the, the look of an Egyptian versus Israelite would have been. Probably not that different. Could have passed off. Maybe he didn't look like Pharaoh's daughter. Didn't have the genetic, you know, he didn't look genetically like Pharaoh's daughter. At some point he realizes or is told, hey, I'm not an Egyptian. And so he comes to this story in Exodus. The decision of faith was to do something about what he sees as injustice, the mistreating of his people. Even if he's making sure nobody's looking, even though he's, he's, he's cautious about it, he still is making a choice in this moment to go with Israel rather than Pharaoh. That's the choice that's being made in faith. Now, in the story in Exodus, he doesn't know how that's going to go, which is the point. He doesn't know how it's going to go. He doesn't know what the result's going to be. He doesn't know where this path is going to lead him. There's no way he possibly could, which is the point. Letting go of the privilege of Egypt being in Pharaoh's household. He's made a decision. Now, it turns out not very great for him in here, and he does have to run away. But I think based on what the Hebrew writer says, he had already been willing to make that sacrifice if it came up. If this is how it played out, he was willing to do it. And that's how it played out. So he lets go of the privilege of Egypt. Now then he has to go off into Midian, right? Then he comes back. We get to the third part of the story, letting go of what's known. And this is Moses presented in Hebrews chapter 11 as sort of Moses' decision, but I think really applies to the people of Israel as a whole in the story. As he's about, they're going to go on the Exodus. This is, of course, what the book is named after, Exodus. They're going to leave Egypt. And I think as we read Hebrews 11, 27 through 28, there's a way to easy way to be confused here. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, that, that's clearly not talking about the first time he leaves Egypt, right? Because what did we just read? Literally, we just read at the end of this verse, uh, then Moses was afraid and thought the thing is known, and he sought to kill Moses, and Moses fled. 
So he's very clearly very afraid when he's leaving Egypt the first time. So what is the Hebrew writer talking about when he talks about this? By faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. This is the second time he leaves Egypt. They go back. Of course, there's a whole business of the burning bush. You need to do this, Moses. And Moses is still afraid. He's still a coward at the burning bush. I don't want to do it, God. Please don't make me do it. Please send anybody else. But he does go. All the miracles, all the plagues. And it's then, I think, that his fear leaves him. When he sees the plagues and the power of God, he sees what God is doing. Then he's willing to leave Egypt a second time, no longer afraid, because he has seen him who is invisible. He's seen him in the plagues. He's seen him in the burning bush. He's seen him, as we'll see in just a minute, in the pillar of, fi uh, the pillar of cloud and fire. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. The story, of course, of the blood on the doorpost, the, the destroyer, the Passover. The second or third, maybe first most important event in Israelite history. That's not true. The birth of Jesus is the first. Exodus 12, 21 through 23. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans. Kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip, uh, dip it in the blood that is in the ba uh, basin. Touch the uh, lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. How would this sound to you? If you're an, an Israelite and you're like, well, what is this? This is random and weird and strange. And Maybe it would feel that way if we hadn't just seen previous nine plagues. The previous displays of God's power. The Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow it to the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Now, we're not going to read it, but we're told that there's a tremendous, great cry that goes up in, in Egypt. As, of course, all the firstborn die. The wailing and the lamenting that's going on in Egypt. And you're an Israelite. You're sitting in your house. And you hear wailing and crying coming from all around you. And you know what must be happening out there. And you know that this was a, a punishment and a display of wrath for the way that your people have been mistreated for the last 400 years. The effect that that must have on a people to know the power of their God. So yeah, by faith Moses leaves Egypt without fear of, the, of Pharaoh. And so we come to the second thing that uh, he mentions here, Exodus 13, 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, let the people change, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. He's, he's, God's a little bit worried that the people are going to just turn back around, which is they want to do, right? They want to do that several times as they go throughout the wilderness. Why did we come out here, Moses? But God led the people around by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Equipped for battle, why? Moses probably knows that Pharaoh's not going to let this go, right? He knows that this is not going to be the end of it. But that's what the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses left Egypt not afraid of the anger of the king. Yeah, Moses, uh, Moses knows that Pharaoh's not going to let it go, but Moses is no longer afraid. He was afraid when he left the first time. He was afraid when God called to him out of the burning bush and told him to go. But his fear has been overcome 
by faith. Because he's seen the power of God. He has seen him who is invisible. That's what the text says in Hebrews 11. The people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle, and Moses took the bones of Joseph. We looked at this last week. That's why I want to read it tonight. Joseph, who so many centuries ago said, hey, you're going to leave this land, carry my bones with you. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and carry my bones. Uh, you shall carry my bones up with you from here. They moved from Succoth and camped in Etham, at the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went up before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Very literally, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. God who is invisible becoming visible for them to lead them out of the land of Egypt. So as we summarize our story tonight, faith to let go. That's what faith is all about, letting go. Moses' parents were willing to let go of their child. And we could ask this of last week as well. How many of us would be willing to do the same? Now, here they're not sacrificing. It's not the same as Abraham. They're not sacrificing their child, but what are they doing? They realize that they are inadequate. They can no longer hide and protect and keep their child safe. So they're letting go of their own ability, which they know is not good enough, to accomplish the task they want to accomplish. We hold on too tight to so many things in our lives that if we would let go and let God be the one to accomplish the thing, whatever it is that we're holding on to, it would go so much better for us. What could you let go of in your life that would improve your spiritual life? Things that you are trying to do that maybe you're not fit for. We've read a lot about the talents and the gifts that we have in the church in our Sunday morning series. Maybe it's things in your life, a relationship that is dragging you back and holding you down. And you think you can make it better and you think you can make it work, but you can't because you're not God. Things that we could let go of when we realize that we need God to work in our lives instead of us trying to do everything. Moses was willing to let go of his privilege. And we talked about this at length several months ago. We talked about privilege in the poor. Hopefully you're not going to murder somebody in the process. Let me just point that out. You're not going to be exactly like Moses. But what are you willing to do to stand up for the people of God when people around them are mistreating them? We could just expand this outside of the people of God. We could just talk about the oppressed in general. We read this morning, do not be haughty, but associate with who? The lowly. That's what Moses was doing. He was not being haughty and proud and arrogant. I'm so great. I'm in Pharaoh's house. He was associating with the lowly. He chose the people of Israel who were in that time slaves. What comfort do we hold on to to the detriment of our faith? I don't want to talk to that person because it'll be hard. I don't want to serve the church in that way because it'll be difficult. And so we sit in our houses, in our comfort, in our relationships, and before you know it, I don't have any faith at all 
because I'm not trusting God in anything because I'm just relying on what I already have. The people were willing to leave everything they'd ever known. To leave the comfort and security of Egypt, which they had known for the past. Not great, obviously, but they knew it. Even in our lives, we know what we have, even if it's bad for us, even if it's horrible for us, we would rather hold on to what we know than let go of it and let God make our lives better. Because we're dumb. Because Israel was dumb. How long did it take them to want to go back? I don't know, a couple weeks maybe? Didn't take them long. They knew it was horrible in Egypt. Slaves. But that's what they knew. It was scary to go into the unknown, the wilderness. Where is God going to take us? How is God going to see us through this? How are we going to get to where we're supposed to go, Moses? Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Isn't that how we are in our own lives and we think about our relationship with God? Even though we know that our lives are full of sin, our lives are inadequate, our lives are insufficient, our purpose is being thwarted time after time, but it's what we know. And if I let go, I'm going to have to do something scary and unknown and different in my service to God. What faithful obedience do you, do I, leave undone because I, I just want to cling to the comfort and security of what I already know instead of doing something that is different. We'll end with Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 as we think about the thing that we're supposed to let go above all else. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, this is all the people we just read and the others that we haven't yet read in Hebrews 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. You ever feel that way about your sin? It's like, a, it's like a spider web that you just can't get off of you. Or it's like, I don't know, like some tar. Like you're stuck in some tar and you're trying to get out and it's just it's sticky and you can't get it off. And it's just, or maybe I'm the only one that feels that way sometimes. It just clings so closely. It's like saran wrap. Lay it aside. Get rid of it. Let it go. Of course, I'm not going to be the one who does that. How am I going to do that? I'm going to do that through Jesus. Jesus is really going to be the one that gets it off of me. It's not going to be me. But I am going to let it go. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm going to faithfully submit to Jesus, faithfully submit to God's will for my life, and then he is going to remove that from my life. If I let go of it, if I stop holding on to it, God wants to rip it from me. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love what he said. Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus. Seeing him who is invisible. I love what Jesus says to Thomas. When Thomas comes to him, he says, Oh, you showed me the hands and the scars and the side. Now I believe you are my Lord and my God. And what does Jesus say to Thomas? Yeah, that's great. You saw and believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. That's us. We have not seen Jesus, but we still believe. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let go of your sin, of the things that you are used to, the things in your life that are comfortable, familiar, but that prevent you from living the kind of faithful life that God wants you to live.
Could be a person, could be a habit, could be even a location, could be a job, could be a hobby. I don't know what it is in your life. Could be a behavior, but I know you have it. Things that are clinging to you that you have not let aside yet. I know that they exist because you're not Jesus and you're not perfect. Let go of those things. Forsake them as Moses forsook Egypt. And then God will give us the victory like he gave the, Egypt, or the Israelites the victory, right? The, Egypt, the Egyptians would have conquered Israel again, except God parted the sea and swept them all away. That wasn't Israel. Just like it's not us. God wants to help you, amen? He wants to help you tonight. If you need his help, come while we stand and sing.